You are listening to the Post Growth Australia podcast, the one podcast where size don't matter and where better is better than bigger. Hello, all and sundry, and welcome back, finally, after a bit of a pause, to another episode of Post Growth Australia podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bayliss. Our co-host Mark Allen is still on travels, so he is with us in spirit and sends you his regards. As such, you'll have to bear with me on my own some, as I vainly tried to pretend that I'm not reading off a script. Why the long break between episodes, an astute PGAP follower might ask. Well, that's because I've just returned from my first a full-on holiday in about three years. Sure, I've been travelling a lot before then, but it has always been a working holiday of sorts. This time, I was without a laptop, so I couldn't even work if I wanted to. My travels took me back to Melbourne, where I spent an intensive two weeks catching up with dear old friends. I miss the people terrifically, but what I definitely don't miss is a vast scale of steel and concrete that comes with living in a big city. When I left Melbourne, there were many construction sites in progress, held back due to the assorted pandemics and lockdowns. On revisiting in February, many of these constructions were complete and old haunts such as Preston and Box Hill were scarcely recognisable. Once one no longer becomes habituated to a big city, observing such human intervention to such a scale can feel almost obscene. Adelaide, which I visited next, wasn't quite the concrete sensory overload of Melbourne, but its central business district seems to be a contest of who can build the tallest eyesore high-rise in the shortest amount of time. Regardless, it was an honour to watch Mark's debut Adelaide Fringe performance as one half of the Boomer and the Doomer show. Mark and I also saw UK environmental Doomer comedian Kate Smirthwaite at the Fringe for her Humanity's Last Hope show. I was furiously writing notes on how to combine Doomerism with humour, which one could say is a foundation block for PGAP. The opportunity to travel always makes me reflect on the life-changing adventure I had 16 remarkable years ago when I volunteered in Kenya and Uganda. My time spent with local communities there was a catalyst toward the direction I would take my activism in later years. So, when the opportunity came to interview someone else from this incredible and multifaceted continent, I jumped immediately at the opportunity. During PGAP's history, I've been honoured to have had Robert Wanalo from Kenya on Season 1, representing Post Growth Institute, and Ugandan-born Florence Blondel in Season 2. The country of Ghana is on the other side of the continent. Its capital, Accra, a whopping... 6,000 kilometres away from the Kenyan capital of Nairobi. So it is an absolute privilege for PGAP to Dutch base in a whole new part of the world for us. This is where today's interview will virtually take us. Our guest for this episode is Innocent Kelvin Coffey, coordinator of Earthcare Permaculture Ghana. PGAP co-hosts Mark and Kelvin have known each other for quite some time through various online permaculture groups and it is through Mark that Kelvin kindly agreed to talk to us all about herb care as well as an insider insight into the burgeoning permaculture community in Ghana. It took Kelvin and I quite a while to get from our first Zoom meeting to the recording of this episode. Life and logistics got in the way for nearly a year. 
The day of the recording was also a little living theatre with a plethora of technical issues, meaning that we had to record on Zoom. As such, the quality of the recording for this episode is a little on the lo-fi side of life. I truly believe it was all worth it. I learned so much from Kelvin about what grows at Earthcare, the ongoing challenges in running the centre with low finances and the smell of an oily rag, and the various environmental and social challenges facing Ghana, and how permaculture and food autonomy is one major part of the solution. In turn, Kelvin was new to the world of degrowth, so I see this interview as a fantastic opportunity for some cross-pollination, to use a permaculture metaphor. I hope you enjoy this episode with Innocent Kelvin Coffey, coordinator of Earthcare Permaculture Ghana. Hi, Kelvin Coffey. Uh, welcome to PGAP. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, tell us a little about yourself, a little about your homeland in Ghana, and some of your key passions that drive you in life. Okay, my name is Innocent Kelvin Coffey. I'm a Ghanaian born. I'm 39 years of age. I'm from Ajokwe, Peki. Peki is my homeland. And uh, I have four children, Blessing. Desmond, Martin, and Barak. I'm the youth leader of my community, Ajakwepiki. I was just installed last year, and I'm into permaculture as well. And I'm trying to bring up the small ones to know more about how they can grow food and where their food is being grown for them to eat. They should use their hand to know how they can grow food. That's a little about me. Fantastic. Did you know we're exactly the same age? Um, tell us a little bit about Earthcare Permaculture Garden. I understand that it is a permaculture project with a focus on introducing children to permaculture. When did Earthcare start and how has it evolved since? And um, just in addition to that, if I were to step into Earthcare, what would I see and what are some of the things currently growing? And what are some of the challenges that have been? I know you've had a couple of uh, challenges the past year. Earthcare Permaculture Ghana, our foundation, is a registered NGO or charity organisation in Ghana that got registered from the registered department in Accra. Uh, in the year 2018. So we had our registration certificate and we are working with it. FK Permaculture, as I said earlier on, we are trying to train the little ones into permaculture because a lot of people doing permaculture, their focus is on the adults. FK Permaculture want to bring the uniqueness in children because children, they have a vision. They want to learn to grow food. And by doing this, we also support them in so many ways. And when we come to FK Permaculture Ghana, we, we have our food forest where we grow sugarcane, where we grow banana, where we grow plantain, noni, avocado, cocoa, papaya, coconuts, moringa, and you see. And also we have a structure. That structure is meant for our caretaker. At the earlier stage, we use wood to uh, make an accommodation 
for volunteers and students that come in across to stay and have their training in permaculture. Now I'm talking to you. I have two French ladies from France. They are here to learn more about FK permaculture Ghana, and they arrived just yesterday. So they are with me in their, their room. So my focus is to bring all people on board. They should know about FK permaculture. And one amazing thing about us is that in the whole Volta region, FK permaculture is only one in the whole Volta region. And when you go to another part of the region, you have FK, like Call to Nature Permaculture Ghana, and you have where I studied my permaculture, that is a Ghana Permaculture Institute, also very far away. And I'm trying to bring this up so that uh, I can spread the permaculture knowledge to all people in my community first before I spread it across the group. And that's about FK permaculture. And our challenges now is to get people to support us because we don't have any avenue of uh, support. When I mean support doesn't only mean maybe people to come and give you money. They support in ideas how we can run our project successfully. So we want people to come on board just to come and see what we are going through, how they can even link us to people that can support our project. We open our arms to embrace anybody like that. One of our challenges is also like we don't have tools to work with. The more tools we got in the previous years, unfortunately, all got bent. So we are struggling to get tools even to work with. So if people can see the need, maybe how we are trying, we are trying our best, how they can also come and see themselves and, and support us. And one of the main thing about FK is also sub to support communities with clean drinking water. Even in our own community here, we have problem with clean drinking water. We only drink water from the pond, and which is very bad. But I'm also trying to speak with a whole lot of people who can help us, like an organization in uh, that is Muntu Movement Switzerland, to come our aid. So they try to buy this uh, water tank, big one for us, three of them, two got best because we didn't position it well. Other organizations like uh, uh, there's a friend on Facebook, uh, Michael Heyman. A whole lot of people are trying to understand there is a need for us to get even clean water. These are our challenges, how people can come and support us. And um, hopefully when with the broadcasters interview, that will inspire some people in the PGAP community to uh, help support the project as well. And certainly it's worth uh, seeing Earthcare Permaculture online. I've been very inspired by what you've been able to grow there, despite the burnt tools. Um, it, it is abundant with your rainy equatorial uh, climate over there. What got you into permaculture and how has a movement taken in Ghana and perhaps more broadly? Um, do you see similarities okay. between traditional farming and land management methods to that of modern permaculture that originated actually in Australia 50 years ago by Bill Mollison and David Holmgren? Okay, I may say for me to start, I may say Bill Morrison did very good 
and he's a great mentor I have in permaculture. He's very good. I like him. And permaculture as a whole, you know, compared to this modern system of farming, and I learned a lot from my grandfather. And even not knowing that that is permaculture, because my grandfather, when he is taking us to farm, he doesn't like anybody to use chemicals. We only go by, maybe we gather the biomass and make fertilizer with it. No chemical use, no chemical fertilizer. Only what we have in the farm, that is we, what we use for our fertilizer. Uh, as Bill Morrison brought up this idea of permaculture, I think there is a need for everybody to embrace it. Because my former boss, that is Paul Yeboah, was trying to bring the government idea on board so that permaculture will be in one of the school curriculum so that it will not be like just agriculture. You know, agriculture, people say just growing of plants and rearing of animals. Permaculture is everything. How you care for people, how you care for everything in a diverse way. That is permaculture. And that is the aim of Bill Morrison. How we take care of the land. You know, we don't take care only of the plant by applying other chemicals, but we take care of the land because the land, the same land you go over there and be growing food years and years and years, just in a sense of agriculture. People just maybe farm here today, then tomorrow they go to another place. But in a permaculture system of farming, as Bill Morrison taught us, you can farm on a particular piece of land for a very long time. So the first, you work with the land and work with the people. When you get your resources, you will be able to share the, like the ethics of permaculture. First year, people share. And, and permaculture in Ghana, I say, is a movement that most people don't have the idea about. So when you go to Ghana Permaculture Institute, Ghana Permaculture Institute is trying to bring so many farmers on board, giving them free training, giving them support to learn more about permaculture, practically. And when you go to Call to Nature Permaculture Center, they are also trying to do the same, training people in permaculture. And when you come to me, I'm just a starter. So I'm trying to come up, I'm doing my best, bringing people to, together, especially I work with children. As I said earlier, I work with children so that children can understand how the process works. So in Ghana, I may say the movement is coming up and people are getting to know about permaculture, centroponic agriculture, and the normal agriculture that they work with. And people are shifting to this uh, centroponic and permaculture. I remember, Kelvin, um, when we first spoke, the our pre-interview meeting, which was probably about a year ago now, like some permaculture, you know, we were working at this interview slowly but surely. <laughs> I remember when we had a talk back then, you brought up the fact that there is some unhealthy competition within permaculture in um, Ghana, which is, which is something I see in Australia too, which is a shame because the original intention of permaculture was to work cooperatively with the land and with each other. Um, would you like to expand on this a little? Yes, it's true. In, in, in Ghana, permaculture centres, earlier, earlier there was a competition because the one says, okay, I want to be the only permaculture in Ghana and I don't want anyone to be another permaculture training center in Ghana. 
You see, so that was a competition. Permaculture in Ghana, they don't try to help another person trying to establish a permaculture center. They try to help people who have little knowledge about permaculture. And that is a, a competition we have in the previous years. But I think our distances are far, are far beyond, like from Volta region to Bono region, it's about 10 hours drive. And when even you are going from my community to Accra to call to nature, it's also about three hours to four hours drive. So we all need a cooperation. We, don't, we need not to separate. We all need to bring our ideas together so that we can broaden the word permaculture and sectoponic agriculture. And it is a shame for people within permaculture to be infighting because, you know, there are bigger enemies out there. We, well, not enemies, but problems out there that we need to be working together to combat, um, such as industrial agriculture, some of the impacts of globalisation. So as, as you may be aware, on PGAP, we discuss the impacts of the pursuit of endless economic growth on a finite planet. Is, is this um, stuff you've thought about before? or before the podcast? No, I never thought about that. I never thought about that. But all that I've been dreaming and visioning is my permaculture center should also go a long way. And how do I do that? And God being so good, you came our way through another friend. That is a connection I'm talking about. If we can get links from one person to another, we too, our voice can go afar. I may know something, I may not know something. I must learn from you, you must learn from me. And that is what I stand for in my permaculture stage. And that's one of the good things. One good thing about technology is that um, it's so much easier to uh, bring people together from different corners of the planet. I remember even 20 years ago when I spent, you know, six months in Kenya, it was very hard to keep in contact with friends I made there because we didn't have Zoom and, and, and Facebook and things like that back then. Firstly, what are some of the main challenges that you see in Ghana in terms of things like the environment, equality, um, whether that's, you know, equality between agendas, equality between rich and poor, um, globalisation and things like that. Yeah, the equalisation between rich and poor is there. In Ghana, is there. If you don't have money, you, you don't have say. I don't think even in Ghana alone, but in, in the world at large, if you don't have money, you don't have a say. So if the the poor can see a rich man to be a friend or a brother. And the rich man can see also a poor to be a brother. I think it will work well. And that is the love we can bring among us. But if there is a great difference, because I'm rich already, I don't have to even give. That is something that will not help us. But if a rich man can see a poor person and help in a way, like how we are struggling to bring this powerful work up. If someone can see, oh, I help you with this. Start with this. Establish yourself. Somebody will also benefit from me. 
not one person, not two person, but so many people can also benefit from, from me. You see? But only that rich person cannot do it. So that rich person, yes, they should come on board and, and, and give their, their love. They should show their love to the less to the less privileged as well. In post-growth land, <laughs> we have a model for assessing human impact, and that's called the IPAT equation, uh, where impact equals population, affluence, and technology as they multiply. So I might just ask you a question on each one of those factors and just to get some of the experience from a perspective in Ghana. And I'd like to fact check with you because I've been reading on some of the environmental issues in Ghana and I'd like to get your perspective on it. So through technology um, and the lens of modern agricultural systems, what are the impacts of industrialised agriculture and cash crop industries in Ghana? Um, and why is permaculture one possible response to some of these impacts? And I believe you touched on it, but if there's any other things. Okay, you know... Uh, there was a time, again, I refer most to my former boss, Paul Yeboa, because I learned a lot from him. There was these people that came to him that they want to establish a, a big farm. And he advised them to do it because it's good. And they were going to destroy a variety of uh, this cocoa plant. And he said, no, if you destroy those cocoa plants, then there's and there's no need for you to say, I'm going into agriculture again. So it's better you do it in another system that we have. You see, like the synchronic agriculture, you, you can farm in a forest, you can farm among trees. So he was giving them this idea. And also about the environment in Ghana. I don't know whether you read much more about this Galamse issue, where the Chinese comes down to Ghana to destroy especially our water bodies. They cut down our trees. They, they are taking our gold away. And this is, I may say, it's not their fault because it's us that is giving the land to them. They say, okay, we'll buy the land at this higher price. And you know money moves people. So when you don't have money and somebody is coming to pledge you money, a big sum of money, you, you also sell your property. And, and people are also just cutting down trees without even replacing them. And these are also causing a lot of environmental problems to us. When you come right now, you see the weather being hot. When the last tree dies, the last man will die. So we need to encourage people how we can protect our environment, like to grow plant, uh, trees, different varieties of trees, especially I encourage people, they should plant more fruit trees because the fruit trees, you, you benefit from it, you eat yourself, you also sell and you get income. Not only that they should be planting economic trees that only for building, but they should plant other trees that they can eat themselves and earn money also. Uh, about this Galamse, the government of Ghana is also trying his best to stop it. But still, people are still doing it because they don't have jobs to do. Jobs, lack of jobs, is also trying to send people in that direction. They do it and they get their money. So that is that. Did you say that you grow plantain in Ghana? Yes, I grow, pla yes, I grow plantain. 
that's one of my favorite. In fact, it was introduced to me on the other side of um, Africa and Uganda, and it's called uh, Matoke. I, th- I think it's an amazing because it's a starchy carbohydrate that grows on a tree. It's one of the most um, environmentally friendly, if you live friendly, in the tropics. Yes. So much better yes. than growing wheat or, or um, you know, potatoes or whatever. So when you said everyone should grow f- food trees, I just immediately thought, yeah, everyone should be growing plant, a yes. plantain tree. Plantain. Yeah. You know, when I had a program in Nigeria with one of the sister organization, GAF, I encouraged them to grow more environmental friendly plants like plantain. And they planted about 300 to 400 pieces of plantain. And it's nicely growing. That one provides quickly shade before you can grow other, other crops in them. So plantain, banana, all are very good. Yeah, environmental friendly plant. And when you come to my center, you see a lot of it. Oh, I, hope, I hope to visit one day. <laughs> yes, um, yes, because... yes. You know, they, they always say when you visit Africa, you can't leave, your soul kind of stays. There's yes, Africa, about the some of the countries like Ghana, Ghana is peaceful and you enjoy being in Ghana for some days, yes, and for even some months. Now let's look at the um, affluence or consumption part of the iPad equation. I did some research and noted that Ghana is experiencing a crisis of e-waste um, and is a prime destination of used e-goods from the European Union and beyond. I'm curious why Ghana, if you know, <laughs> became such a destination. Yes, it's very true. It's very true because when I traveled to Nigeria, I've not had something like that. I've not seen, even if there is, I've not seen. But in Ghana, every market, almost every market, you see secondhand Waste, even some of the waste clothing, not even good to use, but is brought to Ghana. Because one, I once interviewed a woman that why is this waste and you are buying? He said, because he has no money to even buy a brand new. So what shall she do? And I said, okay, I understand you. But what can even the government do for us as individuals? Or as citizens in our communities. So people or uh, the government in particular also try to get money from that, those tasks, like the e-waste. They get money because they tax the companies that brought them to Ghana and they are charging a very high. So if they, they stopped that activity, the e-waste, like the second-hand clothes, I don't think the money will come like that. So it's because they tax them and they want more money, maybe to stabilize the economy, they are doing that also. Most African countries, apart from Ghana that have seen this, I don't see secondhand materials like that, like especially the clothing. Some of the clothing, when you see them, is bad. How can we do? People still buy and wear them. People, because we don't have money, to even buy the good one. So if you find one which is maybe $5 or $2, and instead of going to buy like $10, then you decide to buy the $2. So the e-waste is becoming, unbecoming, unbecoming. 
and we don't know how we are going to solve that issue yet. And I don't know how the government is going to work on that as well. Do, do you think a move toward um, permaculture and self-sufficient communities might be one positive step to help disadvantaged people be rest, less reliant on the e-waste trade? If your community is self-sufficient and can grow all your, all your necessarily foods from your plantain trees and that and access to tools, then you don't need to rely on the waste of of the overconsumption from the global north or whatever. Exactly that. You know, if it's my wish that people can grow more food, even with this waste, especially the clothings, I still encourage people that maybe when you have a clothing that you can wear, you can still use it to make a bag. You can still use it even to grow in them. You just put soil and you can start to grow like you do some urban garden. So if all of us can be doing that, if all of us can be doing that, I don't think much waste will be in the system. Even if there is, we are making good use of it. As permaculture says, nothing is to go waste. So we can still make good use of the waste. And even, even ourselves, we try to make this waste ourselves. Like after drinking water in the water bottle, we just throw it somewhere. After drinking water in such a rubbish, we just throw it. And all these things are bringing problems in different cities. Like when it rains heavily, flooding, then you see water is carrying people away, water is carrying their properties away. It's our own doing that we must stop. I, I learned there are some uh, recycling companies that, that are buying these rubber materials. They are also trying to make uh, rubber chairs and other stuff, rubber bowls from it. Yes, we can pack them and look for those companies to come and buy it, and we have little cash rather than to just throw it anywhere and they are causing mess to other people somewhere. Well, thank you so much for that insight. You know, it's one thing to read about it in the news and, a, and another thing to talk to, you know, someone who's experiencing it itself. So I really appreciate that. Now, look, saving the most perhaps controversial question for last, so as in the IPACT equation, technology is one factor, uh, affluence or consumption is another population also figures in into that. Now, during the second semester of PGAP, I interviewed a Ugandan-born journalist whose name is Florence Blondel, who strongly advocates for changes in cultural attitudes toward female agency in choosing family size and the Global North should do more to contribute towards uh, providing funding for family planning and reproductive health services to communities in which demand exceeds supply for these services. Now, I know Ghana is a very long way from Uganda on the opposite side of the continent. However, there are 31 million people in 240,000 square kilometres, giving a density of 102 people uh, per square kilometre in uh, Ghana. 
In 2010, there were 25 million people. So, um, you, you know, in, in just over 10 years, there's been an extra 6 billion people. Look, do you believe there's a role for a culture of encouraging smaller families in Ghana and Africa more broadly? Or do you think um, a booming population might still be possible uh, if there is a transition toward permaculture? In other words, do you think permaculture alone um, can help support uh, a, a population increasing at this rate? Actually, in, in Ghana, we have uh, it's the government that rules the country. And each government that comes rules four years tenure in office. So each of the government tries to bring a policy that can control individuals like about job, about whatever is the government. But if the government can also work in a way for us, even with a higher population, but they can still be a management so that uh, everybody can, can be of equal uniqueness or stage so that there will not be in much suffering because now even the population is not more is not very high but a lot of people are complaining about there's no work there's no work but what i would like as like permaculture movement to do is to be bringing more education about how people can grow their own food even in the big cities if you grow your own food i don't think there will be a problem with a big population even if our population is very great and we have food. What is the problem? We don't have problem. But if the population is very great and we don't have food in place, then we have a problem. So if we, the permaculture movement, can come together with one understanding, educate people, tell people to grow their own food, I think that will, that will be uh, helpful for everybody. Not only that we'll be waiting for the government to bring a policy, not only we'll be waiting for somebody to bring us money, but we have to take this initiative ourselves. Everybody must make a garden at the backyard so that we can have abundance of food. So permaculture can be very helpful in so many ways in our country. Yes, well, hopefully um, it, permaculture plays a role in the big change that needs to happen. I think we can all agree that there are many, many problems and we can't address the scale of human impact um, unless the way we feed ourselves unless there's a very fast revolution in that. And I, and I really hope that what you, you are doing and what others in the permaculture movement, despite what people might think of uh, the economic system or governments or indeed whether <laughs> there are too many or too few of us on, on the um, planet or any one given country, can all agree that there needs to be a revolution of um, self-sufficiency and permaculture. So we've come to the end now, and thank you so much. Um, I've learned so much from your experience, and I think it's really good for 
listeners living in Australia and the West to hear that, you know, the permaculture movement um, is, is alive everywhere in the world. If PCAP listeners would like to further find out and support you in the work done by Earthcare Permaculture Garden, Kelvin, where can they go and how can they help? If you want to help or search for us, you go to FK Permaculture Ghana. We have the Facebook page, or you go to my personal page, Innocent Kelvin Coffee. And if you love to support us, we have a paper, Coffee Innocent 8 at gmail.com. That's our PayPal account. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Kelvin. It's been incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to express my appreciation again to uh, my very good friend who connected me to you. I really appreciate him. He has done a lot and I wish him a good health and happy new year. You are listening to Postgrowth Australia podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bayless, and we just spoke with Innocent Kelvin Coffey from Earthcare Permaculture Ghana. It has been discussed previously on PGAP that permaculture is a unifying movement that connects people from across the globe. It has also been great potential to connect the new agriculture movement emerging from the ashes of the industrialised system to that of older, wiser methods of agriculture that have lasted for tens of thousands of years at least. It is through permaculture that has united Kelvin and I on the one podcast, holding space and yarn despite the geographical, societal and perhaps even philosophical distances. Kelvin and I may not agree on absolutely everything. It will come to no surprise that I don't quite hold the same faith in permaculture as a panacea in the absence of family planning and reproductive health care. I would also strongly encourage you to listen to the PGAP episode with Ugandan-born Florence Blondell for a contrasting perspective on population. But we're not going to change the world with one set of values or reference points, so let's embrace our many commonalities and embrace our few differences. But what did you think to this episode? What have you thought thus far to Season 4 of PGAP? What topics would you like to hear us discuss? What would be your dream guest to have on PGAP? Let us know by contacting us on our contact form. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite platform. I'll look forward to catching up with Mark on his return and I hope in a near future episode he can share with us some of his best jokes from his Adelaide Fringe show, The Boomer and the Doomer. Until then, folks. Until then.